Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we this morning? Hey, good. Yeah, we're alive. You guys braved the cold weather. You made it out. This is good. This is good. I'm excited that you're here. If you are new, checking out Good Shepherd maybe for the first time, we welcome you. We're so thankful that you're um, hanging out with us this morning, that you're able to worship with us. Um, hopefully we didn't, didn't scare you off. Um, I, have, I have two and a half hours to do it, so I got a little bit of time to still scare you. Just kidding. Most of you didn't even catch it. I'm not preaching for that long. Praise the Lord. Um, but if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Caden Bush. I'm the worship pastor here. I have the privilege of hanging out with incredibly gifted musical people, songwriters, people who love to worship, and, and I love it. I love that I get to do it. I love what I get to do. But this morning, I'm opening up the word because Austin and Katie are gone. They are in Mexico Come on, soak, soaking up the warm weather. They're going to come back all tanned up. And, and they said that they, um, they, they told us that they miss, they miss us. I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. Like, I know that they're trying to be the, like, nice pastor people. I just don't buy it. Like, y'all are in Mexico. It's okay. You don't have to miss us. So, um, but they'll be back next week. Uh, so it's going to be fun. We're starting a new series this morning. But before we jump into it, I want to just give a little bit of a summary. Uh, maybe you coming January 1st, instead of um, vamping up to go to church more regularly, you were like, ah, I don't really want to go to church. You've missed the past couple of months. And if that is the case, um, we've been in this Body and Blood series. Um, hopefully you're familiar with it, but it's talking about communion. Austin and Katie have been talking about just the power of communion, the power of when we as a body, as a church family, we come to the table, we take of the bread and we drink of the juice to remember what Christ did on the cross. And, and I love Katie had unpacked just the power of unified body. We see that it's, it's powerful as an individual, but we also see that it's powerful when we as a body with all our different perspectives and opinions and backgrounds, when we come together, we all come under the same cross. And we get to take it together. We can meet the Lord there. And, and then Austin a couple times had talked about there's like three different aspects to communion that he emphasized. Was One of them was when we take communion, we remember what Jesus has done. It causes us to look back to the past. And we look back and we see what he did and it causes our hearts to swell with gratitude because when we look at that cross and we remember what he did, it causes our hearts to be filled with gratitude and there's power in remembering and there's power in the past. And then I love, he says, it also offers something for the future, communion. When we come to the table together, it offers something, this hope, this future hope, this seat at the table that we now have, that we can look forward, that the, the pains and the challenges of this life are temporary, that there is a promise on the other side of this life. And when we come to the table, we get to look forward to that. Amen. And, and then, but then what Austin said was that what I believe is the most powerful is that God is the God of the present, that God meets us here now that he meets us here in, in our grief, in our pain, in the challenges, and he wants to meet us here. So he's not just the God of the past, nor the God of the future. He's the God of the present. And when we come as a body to the table and we take of the bread and of the cup, we remember and we get to see forward and we get to experience God in the present. So that's the power of that. And so we've changed up our rhythms. Originally, we were doing communion once a month. Now we're doing it every other week um, to just hopefully ignite that in our heart, to come and remember and not forget what Christ has done. And then if you weren't here last week, we had a family update, um, as we were calling it. We have new speakers coming in next week. This, this worship service that you were a part of last time you hear these, 
Come on, praise the Lord, please. Someone, like, I've been so excited for this. Um, but we got new speakers coming in. Austin broke down some of the budget for the new year, and we have staffing changes. And so if you weren't here last week, please just go give it a listen. If you need to, you can throw it on one and a half times speed. Austin already talks pretty fast, so good luck. But, um, but you can definitely do that, so catch up with us. But we are going to be jumping into a new series this morning, a new series, and it's going to be called Life on Mission. Life on Mission. And this will probably be a six to seven week series that leads up to about Easter, um, but really with the focus of reaching and saving the lost. Reaching the lost. How do we as Christians live life on mission? And this, this series, this conversation has really started actually a couple months ago. It started with a couple different of us on the leadership team and a lot of conversation that Taylor and I have had of just our hearts are, are just ignited to see the lost, but it kind of stems from a discontentment that, discontentment that we felt here. And I want to just clarify, being at Good Shepherd right now, and, and hopefully you feel this as well, it's so fun. Like, it is, it's just a fun season to be here. And I know some of you have been here far longer than I, and y'all have been through the valley seasons, and y'all have seen the highs, but right now it's just fun. Like, I think of after the service, when there are, like, kids running around, and we're hanging out, we're loving on each other, and the music's playing, like, that is just one of my favorite parts about this church. It really is. I love hanging out. Um, I think, yeah, Garrick said that in the zone, they've doubled in attendance of kids. Like, come on, praise the Lord. Like, we're growing. We have new families joining. People are taking our membership class and next steps, and we see ministries growing. People are getting in small groups. Like, we are, we're growing, and that is really, really fun. It's really fun. I love being on staff here. I love serving here, but it also has caused a discontentment in our hearts. And the discontentment is that even though we are growing, I don't think we're seeing the kingdom salvations that many of us want to. Like, I, we're not seeing the person who, who is dead fully come to life, or the person who is lost, who is now found. And that discontentment, discontentment hopefully kind of resonates in your heart as well. Is like, it, it can't just be the gathering and we just, we, we hang out with each other. But the hope in the heart of all of us is that we should see those who are far from Christ be drawn near. That, that should be the hope. And so this, this actually is going to be fun because we're going to open it up together and we're going to jump into this series together. But it's been stirring in our hearts as a staff for a while. Like even Taylor and I have had the privilege when it's not freezing out, but to go walk downtown Loveland simply asking the question, God, how can we live life on mission better? And that's, that's even more for us individually, not even so much for Good Shepherd, the organization. I'm asking the question, not, not, not Pastor Caden, not Church Caden, not Worship Leader Caden, but like the regular restaurant eating, gym attending, movie watching Caden. Like I am asking, how can, how can I live life on mission? How can I represent Christ better? How can I be focused on seeking and saving the lost? So that's what we're going to be jumping into for the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be really powerful. It's going to be really good for us as a body. So if you guys are, are comfortable, let's pray. Let's open our hearts to the Lord before we open up the scriptures. Well, dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you. God, we turn our hearts to you. And Lord, we just ask that as we open up your word, um, as we read your word, would it read us? Would it shape us? Would it change us? Would our hearts just be open to receive and, and to grow? And would we become more and more like your son? And as we focus on this Life on Mission series, Lord, we just ask that your will would be accomplished. Your will would be accomplished above everything else. So would you quicken our hearts, um, quicken our spirits to hear what you want to say this morning. It's all for you. It's in your mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So N.T. Wright, 
who is a theologian, pastor, thinker, teacher, way smarter than me, um, says that the purpose of the church is worship and mission. Worship and mission. The purpose of the church is worship and mission. And this is not some new revelation that N.T. Wright has had that no one has known, but it's actually, it's an old concept. It's a popular concept, but it comes most popularly from Acts chapter 2 the early church, the beginning. So we're going to read some scripture together and kind of unpack this concept really quickly of what it means to be a church that prioritizes both worship and mission. So Acts 2, 42, starting in 42. And if you don't have your Bibles, it will be up on the screen or you can follow along in the YouVersion app. So let's read together. Acts 2, 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. This is the church, the believer, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, and they were praising God and having favor with all people. And that last sentence, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hopefully when we read this passage, um, you don't simply think of what the church looked like a thousand years ago, but hopefully as we read that, that is actually something that um, looks similar to even the church today. And though we do it imperfectly, our goal is really to mimic that. Um, That's why we have small groups, is to try to get people in each other's home, eating, sitting around a table together, doing life together. We, We have these worship services on Sunday, similar to them, of attending the temple day by day to pray and to praise and They studied the apostles' teachings. We study the Bible, the apostles' teachings. And so we're trying to mimic that. But from even my own experience and conversation with others, I think uh, churches are really good at usually prioritizing two of those two things, worship or mission. Often we are not great at doing both, worship and mission. And you see this, I think you see this everywhere, and I can even think churches locally that do really, really well on discipleship and growth and raising up the believer and and raising up leaders, and um, they maybe have really great worship times and encounter nights and prayer gatherings are highly attended and all these things that are really good, the worship aspect, the, the gathering of the saints. And then you see other churches that often are very good at mission. It's, it's amazing to me. I even think of a church in, in Fort Collins that is so good at, th- they, they get out on campus, they start loving on people, they start reaching out to people, they start attending, they accept Jesus, and then their immediate response is like, now get out, like go, like go plant, go join a church body, go invest, and they're very, very good at mission. But I think often churches, we prioritize one or the other. And I would say even for us as a church, I think that we probably are really good at kind of prioritizing this worship aspect, the gathering when we come together. Like we get compliments all the time as a church that it's like, man, it just feels like family. It's just, it feels like home when I'm here. And I think the gathering and worship and hanging out with each other in small groups, like it's pretty natural and we prioritize it really hard. But I have to ask the question, how are we doing in the other purpose of the church, which is mission? How are we doing with getting outside of the walls of the church? And, and I'll just, I'll applaud you guys. Like your, your muscle for worship has been strengthened incredibly the past couple of years. Like I just, I think that we, we are flowing longer in worship than we ever have. Some of you like that, some of you don't. Um, we are far more spontaneous. We had a girl the other, the other day come up and give a, a prophetic word to the body. We're doing encounter nights and 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we've seen even in our youth room with Mac, like students are getting involved with worship. This muscle is being strengthened. But I have to ask the question, how are we doing with mission? Because the truth is the the small group gathering, 
the Sunday gathering, the prayer gathering, the encounter night, youth ministry, all of it actually does exist to push us outside of the walls of the church. All of those, when we, when we catch the heart of Jesus, when we experience the living, breathing God and we begin to spend time with him, the byproduct of that, because his heart is to save the lost, our hearts should also catch that. That's just the truth. And so we're going to be talking with this series and focusing on how we can be a church community, not church, just the organization, Good Shepherd, but as individuals, we the people, how can we live life on mission? How can we be more mission-oriented? So if you guys would, open your Bible to Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 5. This is where we're going to be spending a bulk of the morning looking at these two stories. It's the same story, just given by two different people, Matthew and Luke. So we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets. And he called them, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So that's Matthew's perspective of the story. And now let's read Luke chapter 5, which both of these take place early in Jesus's ministry. But we're going to read verse 1 through verse 11. And it says, Now on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and we've taken nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when, when, si- when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think that for many of us, if you've grown up in the church, you have, uh, you've heard this story. I know I heard it in children's ministry when I was young, but that we were called to be fishers of men. Fishers of men. And for some reason, it's a, it's a kid's story that often gets emphasized, but not always addressed when we are adults. And I just want to make the challenge that how many of us visualize our lives today as being fishers of men, fishers of men. And so we're going to look a little closer at what that means. Like, why would Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, compare his ministry to that of fishing? And so before, I just got to give a disclaimer, just I got to clarify with all of y'all. I can't remember the last time I went fishing. I can't. And honestly, I can't remember the last time I caught a fish. And if I can be really honest, I have no desire ever to go fishing, ever. Um, I, I am far too impatient. 
I'm not really into the whole wilderness activity deal. And if I can be really honest, I think worms are one of the grossest things on the planet. Worms and fish, they're so slimy. Like I just, I have no desire to touch them. I just don't. And like my only relationship with fishing is my Bass Pro fishing hat. You know, these guys know, I see you guys wearing them sometimes, is the colorway, the trucker hat, it looks cool, the green, the yellow, the black. So that's my only relationship with fishing. I have no desire to do it probably ever again. So with that being said, I just want to give you all some tips about fishing. (laughs) Just playing. Golly. No, but I do think when we look at the gospel narratives, when we look at Matthew and we look at the story of Luke, Jesus emphasizes this idea of being fishermen. Being fishermen, what does it mean to be fishermen? And why does Jesus compare his ministry to fishing? Why does why is Jesus after fishermen in the first place? And I think like maybe one of the first reasons is like Jesus saw these men. He's like, I want them on my team. So Jesus is like, I'm trying to build a connection between these guys. And he says, well, like you, you guys fish, like my ministry is similar to fishing. And maybe Jesus is just trying to build the, the credibility with these guys so they would join his ministry. I don't, I don't probably think that's it. Um, but, but I think it could be a little more that the mission that Jesus was to accomplish is he was sent to accomplish a mission was that he needed people who had the qualities and the attributes of the fishermen. Like if we think back of, of, of what a responsibility of a fisherman was in Jesus's time, it would have been, it would have been a grueling task. They would have often been fishing in the middle of the night because that was the best time to fish. There was a seriousness to the occupation that if they did not catch fish, they would not eat. And so Jesus probably in his ministry and in his, his foreknowledge was like, I need men because I'm going to entrust the resurrection. I'm going to entrust the whole story of the gospel to these men. So I need to trust them. They need to have certain qualities and attributes. And I think that's probably legit. Like, I think Jesus would have wanted men who were maybe not super educated or super religious, but young, moldable, shapeable men. And so he's like, I need, I need these fishermen. These are the guys I want for my disciples. But I would say, out of all the reasons, I think that fishing is the closest thing God could use to describe that of the Christian mission. I think that's why Jesus is drawing this comparison. It's that it is the closest picture of what the Christian mission looks like. Not only 2,000 years ago, but also today, is that we are called to be fishermen. It's men and women who, who were once lost and distant from God, who have been radically transformed by the Holy Spirit, now choosing to lower their nets, their story, their testimony into the deep waters, hopefully to catch more fish. Isn't that our story? Isn't that the Christian story that we all were once lost, distant from God, caught up in our own sin, couldn't save ourselves, and God graciously stretched down and saved us. And we experienced his grace. That's the story. And now our, now our mission, our responsibility on our end is to carry the same work. We see Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. Our job, our responsibility is now to carry on the work that he started. That's what our Life is supposed to look like as Christians, just fishermen, letting down our nets, letting down our stories to hopefully save other fish. And then this is where the analogy breaks down. But then the church's job is to nurse them back to health, invest in them, equip them, and send them out to the waters where they once came. I guess it kind of works, actually, because fish die. And we as Christians are called to die as well. So there's some, I guess it works. But that's, that's the truth about the Christian story and about the Christian message is we're supposed to go back out and start fishing. I love, um, I love that in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, 
It says, for this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So if Jesus, who is the person we are trying to become, we are trying to copy him, imitate him, become like him, act like him, talk like him, respond like him. If he compares his ministry, which was perfect in every way, if he compares it to fishing, shouldn't we as Christians also visualize our life and our ministry as being fishers of men? Fishers of men. If we're trying to imitate him, shouldn't we also visualize it as that? And I love that Jesus, he didn't just draw this comparison and say, um, you will also be fishers of men, and then didn't reflect that in his ministry. But Jesus reflected this. Jesus showed that his heart was for the lost. I love in, in Luke 19, verse 10, it says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The heart of God, the reason why he came was to seek and to save the lost. And you see that in his ministry. You see that over and over the amount of times when he's talking to a crowd, the crowd was either astonished or amazed and many believed or many followed him. You saw that God's heart was to draw near to the lost and the hurting. He spent so much of his time having dinner and eating food with prostitutes and tax collectors. The people on the fringe of the society, the furthest from the far, he talks to the Samaritan woman in, I think it's John chapter 4. God's heart was to seek and to save the lost. We see it even more in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation of the lost was at the forefront of Christ's mind and it was reflected in his ministry. And then we see the apostles that they carry on this same heart. They, they, they teach the exact same thing. Romans 10, 8 through 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Salvation, Acts, Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Jesus modeled a life of seeking and saving the lost, reaching out to the lost. The apostles modeled the same life. The early church modeled the same life. And so that must be true of us as a church body as well. Our hearts as a church have to seek and to save the lost. And so what does it actually mean to be a fisher of men? What does it mean to be a fisher of men? So I want to present to you guys with three questions. Um, they're all pretty vague. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give you a four-step process on how to save your neighbor, um, but it's questions that the Lord has just been presenting to me that I've been incredibly convicted and challenged by that I want to present to you as we kind of go into this series. And the first one, we see it in Matthew 4, we see it in Luke 9, 23, and we see it in Luke 5, that when you are called to follow Christ, the requirement is to forsake everything. And so my question to you is, have you forsaken everything to follow Christ? Because the truth is, um, evangelism or reaching and seeking and saving the lost means nothing if we as individuals haven't done it first. If we, if we as individuals haven't forsaken our old life and left our own ways and said, I'm following Jesus with everything that is in me, then we can't start focusing on those outside of the church. And so hopefully every single one of you here have, have in your heart, you have forsaken everything to follow Christ. Luke 9, 23, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That is the call of Christ. That's the invitation. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls us, he bids us to come and die. He bids us to come and die. And I think there are some in the room who you're coming to church because your parents drag you along or you're coming to church because it's the right thing to do. And yet you have never forsaken your old lifestyle. 
You have never said no to living your old lifestyle, but, the, but becoming a disciple following Jesus, it starts there. I love that these, these disciples, they were just men. They were just fishermen before this. It was only after Christ's call that they become disciples. And that's the true of us. And so then my second question for you is, are you casting a net? Are you casting a net? Are you fishing? Because the truth is fishermen fish. Fishermen fish. If we are called to be fishermen, there should be evidence in our life that we are fishing. And I'll be, I'll be really honest with you guys. This is where I was wrecked the most. Because I, I was homeschooled up until fifth grade. I attended a Christian high school. I was a pastor's kid. I, university, my experience was really online. And then I got a job at a church really young. And so my interaction with the outside world is like nothing. Like even Taylor just last, a couple weeks ago was like, you may be the most sheltered person I've ever met. <laughs> and, and like, I, it's so true. I, I, I have very few relationships with non-believers and yet my heart has been ignited that even me, just a pastor at a church who's interacting primarily with Christians has to be casting a net somewhere. Like I have to be casting a net. I have to be putting the loss at the forefront of my mind, whether it's I'm going to the gym or I'm interacting with the, the barista at Starbucks. Something in my life has to reflect a desire to see the lost come to know Jesus. It has to be true. It has to be true in my heart. Are you casting a net? Does your life, your calendar, your energy, your time reflect the desire to see those who do not know Jesus be brought near? My third question, maybe you are casting your net and you're sitting in, in the congregation right now and you're like, it's about time someone's talking about this. It's like, I've been feeling this for so long and I've been trying. And, and if you have been trying, my question to you is, do you need to mend your net? Maybe you've been casting. Have you found success in your catch? Are you finding success? Are you seeing people come to know Jesus in your life? Because if you're not, then we have to go back to the drawing board as individuals, as Christians, not, not simply as Good Shepherd, the organization or the larger church. We as individuals who are called to be fishermen, if we are not catching fish, we need to reevaluate. And I think what this looks like is you think of the person who stands on the street corner with the sign and it says, sinners go to hell or whatever. And my question then would be like, are you guys catching fish? Like, are you seeing success in holding a sign at the end of the street and yelling at people? Because if you are not, we need to reevaluate. We have to mend our nets. We have to find our methods. We have to try different ideas to reach the lost. And I think for most of us, we're not the person standing here with the, with the sign. We instead go, well, the scriptures say that they will know me by my love. So I'll play the long game with them. I'll just show them my love. And it's been 47 years and the person still doesn't care about church or your faith. And if that is the case, then we as Christians who are fishermen have to reevaluate. We have to be asking the question, God, if I'm not catching fish, if I'm not seeing success, when I cast a net out, I have to reevaluate. I have to ask the question, how can I reach and save the lost? And I love you see this in, in Peter's language in Luke chapter five. Jesus is like, hey, I want you to let your net down for a catch. And then Peter's like, Jesus, we've been toiling all night and we have caught nothing. What if that was actually our response a little more? I think for us, it's we're not often trying. Instead, if we were going, oh my gosh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm putting all my effort and my energy. Toiling gives the impression of energy and effort and prayer and practice and intentionality. It gives the, the, the impression that we are trying, that we are fishermen and we are giving our best attempt to see those who don't know Jesus to come to faith. 
But I think for many of us, and this is definitely the category I fell into, I wasn't even casting a net. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't even thinking about the non-believer. I was so focused on the church and the world within the walls of the church that I had forsaken the lost. So my question to you, one, have you forsaken everything to follow Christ? Because that's the starting place. Two, are you casting a net? Does your life reflect a desire to see the lost come to know Jesus? And if you are and you're not finding success, then we need to mend our nets. We have to go back to the drawing board and try something different. However, with all of these three things, the truth is our success can only be found at his word. I love that in Luke chapter 5, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he tells Peter to let down his nets, and after Peter obeys the word of the Lord, he finds a great catch. A catch so great that the boats are sinking and the nets are tearing. Then we see the exact same thing later at the end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 21. The disciples are out fishing. Jesus is on the shore and they're not catching anything. And he yells out to them and he says, hey, put the net on the other side of the boat. And they have a great catch. And so for us, with all of these things, whether it's casting a net or mending a net or trying to see the lost come to know Jesus, whatever it is, our success can only be found when we hear his word when we hear his voice, when we get alone in the secret place and we seek his face, we seek his face and then we obey what he has said and that is where we find our success. I think that's why in Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, it says, Jesus is speaking and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what? Pray. Therefore, pray. Don't just throw up a random shot hoping that one of them will land with people. But he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to, as believers, catch the heart of God first. It's not just randomly trying or randomly throwing out conversation, but it's actually seeking his heart, catching his heart, and then being obedient to what he has said. And that is where we find our success. Because if we do it in our own human effort, we won't find success. You see the disciples toiling all night in their own strength. And then the moment God speaks, they find their success and they find a great catch. And so you, you may be now sitting here and you're kind of asking the question like, why isn't this the worship guy? Like, why, why is he speaking on evangelism? Why is he, where, what kind of ground does he have to stand on? What experience? He doesn't have life experience. And, and I would say, if you are questioning that, you are actually probably right. You're probably right, but that is, that is what I think the beauty of evangelism is, is that it's not simply for pastors, teachers, trustees, elders, deacons, greeters. It's for the church. It's for us. And so we as a church body have to take this conviction upon ourselves. We have to take this conviction upon ourselves because hopefully you, there are, some of you are actually sitting here and you have actually felt the discontentment that we have of going, yeah, we're, we're growing, but like, I want to see the person who did not know Jesus find Jesus. And if you are feeling that discontentment, let it drive you to action. Don't let it just drive you to another church or drive you to grumbling or complaining, but it should drive you to actually act. Please, if you have more experience catching fish and evangelism, share it with us. Be the leader in it, but don't simply sit back and critique and say, oh, it's Good Shepherd, the organization that needs to evangelize better. We are the church, me being a member. And, and Salvations is a reflection of what we are doing as a church, how we are doing as individuals. And so I want to challenge you. Does your life reflect that of being a fisher of men? And I'm, I'm imperfect at this. I fail. I don't think about it. I prioritize other things all the time. And yet God has just gripped my heart 
God's heart was to seek and to save the lost. And our worship gatherings, when we come, if we are truly encountering the living, breathing God, the byproduct should be catching the things he cares about. If we are truly experiencing God in our small groups and in our prayer times, and we are truly experiencing his goodness and his kindness, we also should be experiencing his heart, which was to seek and to save the lost. That should be a byproduct and it should begin to burn within you. And so I just want to say, if that is not a feeling within you, if you're like, I couldn't care less, then we as the church have to take the conviction upon ourselves and go to the Lord and say, God, would you give me a heart for the lost? Would you give me a heart for the lost? It can only come from you and your word. Why? Because when we accepted Jesus, when we put our faith in him and we, we stepped into salvation with him, there was an agreement made. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. That was the beginning agreement. We agreed to that. But there was also a mission attached to that agreement. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. And so when we accepted following Jesus, we also agreed to the mission that he has given us. And so we, every single one of us, the church, not the organization, but the individuals within the church, we, the people, have to take this conviction upon ourselves. Finally, I want to finish with, with this. I just find it unique in this story particularly that Jesus did not call those men to be disciples or to be fishers of men after their unsuccessful fishing endeavor, right? Peter had been toiling all night and they caught nothing. Jesus didn't call them to be fishers of men after that. He instead said, let down your nets. They had this great catch that was sinking the boat. And then Jesus said, I want you to be fishers of men. And I think the reason for that was God was painting a picture of what it looks like when we as, as individuals fish, but with the story of the gospel at his word, is that there is a great catch available. There's a great catch available that he wanted to bring to his disciples, the forefront of their mind, a picture of what Christ's ministry looks like when you do it with him. When we do it in our own effort, we're not successful. When we do it with him and the power of our testimony and the gospel, that is where we find our success. That is where we find the catch. I love this. Austin said this last week, but he said, but until Sunday morning traffic of people trying to get to church is as busy as Friday night, we have work to do. We have work to do. Because you are not just saved for yourself. You are saved to a family. Yeah, we hear Austin say that all the time. You're not just saved for yourself. You're saved to a family. But I would also say with being saved to that family comes a mission that we have been entrusted to accomplish. I love that the idea of commission actually means that you've been given a mission, that you have everything that you need to fulfill it. You have been empowered enough to accomplish it. And, and just even as someone who works at a church, my dream problem would be this, that, that there are so many people in this church that we're like, we got to go plant a new church. We got to start new classes. We got, we need so many people to disciple. We need to call on other churches. We got to send people out. We got to push people out because it is multiplying. Because guess what? If, if one of you, if every single one of us focused on saving one person in one year, all of a sudden we wouldn't be able to hold it. We'd be too large. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't keep up with the multiplication if the church takes it upon themselves. If we place the responsibility on Good Shepherd, the organization, and we, we don't have enough outreach, then we'll never reach our city. We'll never reach our city. We'll never bring transformation to the city. We'll never see lost safe if we place all the pressure and the burden on the organization, not the people not the people. So would you guys stand with me as we pray? My heart, even with this talk, was um, not to provide you with tons of answers, but more questions. 
I wanted you to evaluate. What does your life reflect? Are you visualizing your life as a fisherman? Because I'm growing in this and I'm not perfect in it. But if every single one of us buy into this idea of casting a net, casting a net, and then if we're not finding success to go back and mend it, then we will begin to see salvations in our city, which that is what we've been called to do, is to seek and save the lost, to go make disciples. And so if you guys, would you just bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, we, we, just, we do want to see the lost come to know you. Lord, we want to see those who are far from you to be brought near. But Lord, if that desire doesn't exist in our heart, Lord, we ask that you would cause it to burn within us. Lord, would you cause our hearts to burn for what your heart burns for? Would we see those who are far come near? God, we just pray right now, even Matthew 9, that you would send out laborers into your harvest. And whether that is one of us or if it's someone else, Lord, we pray in agreement with your scripture that you would send out laborers into the harvest. So Lord, we just ask that you would, um, you would ignite something within our hearts as we begin this series on evangelism of seeking and saving the lost. We bless you. We honor you. It's in your mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Amen.